Welcome back to Instrumental. I'm Bria, your host, and I have a few quick announcements before we jump into today's episode. First, if you haven't already and want more information on the resources and research that we talk about in every episode, head on over to our website. Uh, it's instrumentalpodcast.com for the show notes. If you have Twitter and can follow us at, at instrumentalpod, you're going to get lots of updates about episodes. Um, and yeah, you can share it on Twitter more easily, I suppose, if you care to. And that's it, because usually that information gets thrown in at the end, and I know some people don't listen through to the end, because that's podcasting. All right, on to our seventh episode. Today, I'm reviewing research that delves into how our personalities impact our music listening behaviors. Do our personalities actually influence the type of music that we listen to? And can knowing a stranger's favorite music actually give you some kind of reliable information about what kind of person they are? This episode is also going to include tips for how to take what we learn about personality and music to start more personal and curious conversations when getting to know someone. Keep listening to find out more. When we're out and about in the world, there are lots of ways that we communicate parts of our identity to ourselves and to others. The way we dress, the places we go, the decor of our homes, the words we use, the food we eat. Collectively, all these details say something about who we are, or at the very least, how we're trying to represent ourselves to the world. The music we choose to listen to can also be another really important way that we express our identity and how others see us. And... I guess I saw this a few months ago, but I recently, relatively recently, came across this article headline, Uber driver has a Spotify playlist for every kind of passenger he picks up. This story starts with a ride-sharing driver named TJ Jones, and earlier this year he tweeted out, So I just started driving for Uber and Lyft, and I've been getting a lot more compliments on my music since generalizing my passengers by one of these 11 playlists. And with this tweet, there are screenshots of these Spotify playlists with very specific titles like Basic 20s to 30s, 30+, plus, POC, which I'm assuming refers to people of color. There's one called White Dudes Who Look Like They Like Rap, and even one called Effing Hipsters. FYI, if you're curious, TJ's Spotify playlists are linked in the show notes if you want to check them out for yourself and take a listen. If these playlists lead to more satisfied passengers and more tips for the driver, I say that's pretty ingenious and just plain good old customer service. And with all the compliments on his music, TJ was probably a pretty perceptive person in matching the passengers that he was driving to what kind of music they'd probably like. But on the flip side, maybe it's a little unsettling that this very perceptive Uber driver was able to reverse engineer so many of his customers' music preferences after a few seconds of observation and interaction. We all like to think of ourselves as individuals, people who defy stereotypes and can't be simply labeled or put into categories, but is there any truth at all to the idea that our musical tastes say something meaningful about our personalities? Before we can get into the music cognition research, we've got to make sure we're all on the same page about some basic personality psychology terms. 
personality itself refers to a set of habitual behaviors, thoughts, and emotional patterns that each of us use to navigate the world. Even though the way we act can definitely change between situations, personality refers to how we generally tend to act, what motivates us, and how we interact with others across multiple scenarios. The type of personality we have depends both on biological factors and also environmental factors like culture and life experiences. And there are also lots of ways to measure your personality, many of which have entered into pop culture and have turned into a form of entertainment, like BuzzFeed quizzes with titles like, Which Scooby-Doo villain matches your personality best? And then there are other tests with a more psychometric flavor, like the Myers-Briggs Type Indicator, where you get categorized into types like ENFJ or ISTP. There's also the Enneagram you might be familiar with. And while I have a soft spot in my heart for these tests and they're really fun, there are some reliability issues with these tests and they are not widely used in the research. Instead, the studies in today's episode look at personality through the five-factor model, or it's also known as the Big Five Inventory, which breaks down someone's personality into five different traits that everyone has to some degree on a continuum. For me, these five factors are easiest to remember with the acronym OCEAN. Uh, So we're going to go through these, and I want you to try and imagine where about you think you are on the continuum for each trait from like high or low or somewhere in the middle. The first factor, O, stands for openness to experience, which refers to a person's willingness to try new activities. Someone high in openness to experience is probably creative, artistic, they like talking about abstract ideas, and they're more comfortable exploring the unknown. If you're low in openness to experience, you probably enjoy routines and practicing traditions that are familiar, and you like the tried and true. All right, the second factor, the C in ocean, stands for conscientiousness. This refers to the degree to which people are aware of their actions and the potential consequences of what they do. People high in conscientiousness are usually organized, they're industrial, they get stuff done, and they often feel a strong sense of duty. People low in conscientiousness tend to be more impulsive, who act more spontaneously or on a whim. The E in Ocean stands for extroversion. This is probably a really familiar one. It describes how outgoing and sociable people are. People high in extroversion are really socially enthusiastic, they're talkative, and they're often assertive in group situations. Uh, So I guess if you watch Queer Eye, like, I feel like Jonathan Van Ness, the guy who's in charge of grooming, is like the dictionary version of an extrovert to me. On the flip side, if you're low in extroversion, you're probably an introvert. Uh, You are going to be quieter and shyer around other people in social situations because in group scenarios, your energy gets used up. The A in our OCEAN acronym stands for agreeableness. People high in agreeableness are friendly, they're cooperative, they're also very altruistic and generous to others, and they often want to help others in need. On the flip side, people who are low in agreeableness are more competitive and more likely to act according to their own self-interest. And the last five-factor trait, the N in ocean, stands for neuroticism, which measures a person's reactions to negative emotions. 
Someone high in neuroticism tends to be emotionally unstable. These are your worriers, your overthinkers, and they often focus on a situation's negative aspects. People low in neuroticism are more emotionally stable and tend to stay calm under stressful situations. Even with this quick description, you can probably estimate where you generally fall on these five traits. Again, those were openness to experience, conscientiousness, extroversion, agreeableness, and neuroticism, which we are remembering with the OCEAN acronym. If you want to get a more fine-tuned idea of where your personality falls in this five-factor model, there are lots of online tests that can give you a more detailed picture. And I just want to put out there that there's no one perfect combination of these factors. Real-world situations call for different responses, and anywhere you fall within these five traits is going to be more helpful in some situations. For example, if you're high in agreeableness, you're often very accommodating and caring, and this trait is really useful when providing emotional support to a friend. On the other hand, if you tend to be low in agreeableness or disagreeable, you're probably going to be more assertive when it comes to negotiating your salary at your job. So yeah, different situations, um, different personality traits fit differently into those. Uh, So just take a moment to validate the wonderful individual you are. And yeah, I guess that's the therapist side of me coming out. All right, back to the topic. How good do you think you'd be at discerning someone's personality from their favorite music? Are you a pretty perceptive person? Let's say you're going to meet someone for the first time and before you know anything about them, you just hear their favorite song. Let's do a mini experiment. I'm going to play a clip of music, and I want you to picture what kind of person would be most likely to enjoy it. And I want you to picture this person not just in terms of the basic like gender and age demographics, but also according to these five personality traits we've talked about. Stuff like how organized do you think they'd be? How extroverted and social might this person be? Is this person open to new ideas, or do they like things they're already familiar with? Are they competitive or cooperative? Try and picture them um, and this well-rounded person in your head. Uh, Here is clip number one. you've got that person in your head maybe Uh, we're gonna do this one more time with a different piece of music so try and picture this second person who enjoys this music in your head Got someone pictured in your head for each song? 
You pretty much just did a mini version of a study by Peter J. Rempfrau and Samuel D. Gosling. Their study asked the question, what interpersonal information do our musical preferences convey about us? In their experiment, they recruited undergrad students. We're going to call them the list makers. These list makers completed some personality tests and then made a list of their top favorite songs, including the song title and the artist. These song lists were then burned onto a CD as listed, and these CDs got passed on to research assistants. We're going to call them the coders. These coders coded or labeled specific features of every song on every list, things like the tempo and what musical genre the song fell into. Then just the CDs, not the labels or the codes, um, these CDs got passed on to another group called observers. There were eight observers who heard these CDs and they did kind of what you just did. They listened to a stranger's favorite music and tried to estimate what personality traits that stranger had. The observer's personality ratings of the list makers were solely based on the music on each CD without knowing anything else about the list maker. And then the researchers ran a bunch of statistics to try and find relationships between the list makers' personalities, the coders' ratings of the musical attributes of the songs, and the observers' ratings of the list makers' personalities. The researchers found that the observers were able to make some consistent and accurate ratings of the list makers' personalities based on correlation. And quickly, correlation refers to the strength of a relationship between two variables, and the strength of this relationship is expressed as some kind of number between positive one and negative one. A positive correlation means that when one variable goes up, another variable also goes up. So, for example, the number of churches in a town is positively correlated to the number of bars in a town. And this is really important, though. Correlation does not necessarily imply causation. So it's not like when a new bar opens up in town, this also causes a church to also open up. Instead, we know that there's a third variable, population, that can explain the positive relationship or correlation between the number of bars and the number of churches in town. Like, if you have more people, you're probably going to have more of both types of establishments, but more of one does not cause more of the other. On the other hand, a negative correlation means that when one variable increases, the other variable decreases. So, for example, as the temperature on a summer's day goes up, the average temperature of a drink sold at Starbucks is probably going to go down because there are more ice drinks that are getting sold. For negative correlations, the variables move in opposite directions from each other, but again, one variable does not necessarily cause the other to go down. Correlation is not causation. Say it with me. Correlation is not causation. All right, back to Rent for and Gosling's data, which correlated the observer's ratings of the list maker's personalities and the list maker's ratings of their own personalities. So, like, how accurate um, were the observers in estimating what kind of people the list makers were just from listening to the list maker's music? What did the results find? Well, after listening to the CDs, the observer's ratings of a list maker's openness to experience trait was moderately correlated at a 0.47 correlation coefficient. 
This means that after listening to a CD, the observers were moderately accurate in estimating how open the list makers were. The observers also were able to accurately judge the list makers' agreeableness, extroversion, and emotional stability, but their ratings for these personality traits were not as strongly correlated to the list makers' actual personalities. The correlation coefficients for these traits were like between positive 0.2 and positive 0.3, so the observers were less accurate in estimating the stranger's agreeableness, extroversion, and emotional stability, or neuroticism, but they weren't completely off the mark. The observer's ability to accurately rate people's personalities may have been dependent on cues within the music. So, for example, music that was rated by the research assistant coders as energetic, enthusiastic, and featured lots of singing were rated by observers as indicative of someone who is more extroverted. The researchers concluded that there is some truth to the idea that we have an intuitive understanding of a stranger's personality by knowing what kind of music they enjoy, even if it doesn't give us the full picture of who they are. What's interesting to me is that someone's musical preferences may give us information about a stranger's personality that we can't get visually. So, Rentfrau and Gosling also compared their results to similar studies where observers, again, rate a stranger's personality, but they're based on visual cues like a photograph or a short video clip. Uh, when compared to these visual this visual information for a stranger's personality, music preferences gave a more accurate picture of a stranger's openness to experience, agreeableness, and emotional stability. So it might be the case that knowing someone's favorite music can give us more detailed information on some personality traits that we couldn't get from visually seeing them. There is also evidence that suggests that one of the most basic determinants of how much you'll like a piece of music is even more straightforward, something as simple as the number of times you've heard that music before. This is referred to as the mere exposure effect and puts forward the idea that the more familiar you are with something, the more you tend to like it. The relationship between familiarity and liking has been shown for lots of things like visual images um, and also for music. So maybe you've had the experience where you hear like the hottest new pop song for the first time and you think, why does everyone like this song? It is not that great. But then like the more you hear it on the radio, the more the song starts growing on you and soon you are on the bandwagon with everyone else, even though maybe listening to the song is a guilty pleasure and um, you feel bad about loving that song. Like that's Katy Perry for me. She's great. I love Katy Perry. Anyways, researchers think the mere exposure effect comes from the fact that when we've been exposed to something a lot of times, whether it's music or food or a movie, it's more predictable. We know what we're in for and we don't have to spend as much cognitive energy anticipating what's coming up next. So we derive more pleasure from that thing than the first time we experienced it. A study by Patrick G. Hunter and E. Glenn Schellenberg explored whether personality differences could help explain this interaction between how much we like music and the number of times we've heard that music. In their experiment, they recruited undergrad psychology students for a two-part music listening task. 
In the first part, this was called the exposure phase, each participant listened to six classical orchestral music clips, and each music clip was 15 seconds in length. While they were listening, these participants had to identify which instrument was the lead instrument in the music clip, so they actually had to pay attention to some degree to the music. During this exposure phase, they heard the same six clips presented a different number of times. Some clips they heard two times, some clips heard they heard eight times, and some clips they heard 32 times, and these were all randomly presented. So in the exposure phase, the students had a total of 84 total listening trials. Then they moved on to the second experimental phase, and this was called the liking phase. When they were in the liking phase, the participants had to listen to the same six excerpts they heard, but also six completely new classical music excerpts. This time, the participants rated how much they liked the music on a seven-point rating scale. Then, all the students filled out the Big Five inventory to assess where each person fell on those ocean personality traits that we talked about earlier. In Hunter and Schellenberg's results, openness to experience was the only personality trait that had a relationship with how many times a person heard a clip in phase one and their liking rating for that musical clip during the second phase of the experiment. People high in openness to experience gave the highest liking ratings to brand new music clips and clips that they had heard only two times. These high openness folks, though, rated clips that they heard more often as lower liked, so they gave lower ratings to a clip they heard eight times and the lowest ratings to music they had heard 32 times. People who were high in openness tended to dislike a musical clip the more they heard it. On the other hand, though, individuals who scored low in openness to experience showed a different pattern. These folks rated brand new music the lowest. Then their rating went up a little for music they heard twice. Their ratings were highest for clips that they heard eight times. And then their ratings got lower again for music that they heard 32 times. For the participants who were low in openness, they enjoyed music that they had been exposed to a moderate amount of times, but gave similarly low ratings to music that was brand new or that was played way too much. These findings are pretty consistent with what we know about the openness to experience personality trait. If you're high in openness, you're more likely to like something new right off the bat. Um, but as you hear it more and more and it becomes too familiar, these high openness folks are probably going to be ready to move on to something that's more novel and more exciting. If you're low in openness, you're more likely to exhibit something called neophobia, which means being cautious of something you encounter when it's new, when you encounter it for the first time. So you're going to like things that are moderately familiar. But of course, if we experience something way too much to the point of saturation, uh, you're going to get bored, uh, maybe annoyed, and derive less pleasure from that thing or that music. In summary, 
our personalities are a foundational part of who we are, and now we have a better idea of how our personalities might determine what types of music we're drawn to. Of the big five personality traits, openness to experience seems to have the closest relationship with what kind of music you like, with the other four factors, conscientiousness, extroversion, agreeableness, and neuroticism. Those play smaller roles in your musical taste overall. But while personality plays a role in our preferences, that's definitely not the only factor. Even if you could somehow know everything about someone's personality, exactly where they fall on these big five traits, you can't predict with 100% accuracy whether someone will like a piece of music that they've never heard before. Even if TJ, the Uber driver I mentioned at the beginning of this episode, seems to have a sixth sense about his passenger's musical taste. Maybe he's just really intuitive or has really high emotional intelligence. Uh, Research shows that that doesn't carry across the entire population, or those predictive qualities don't carry across all of us, unfortunately. As a music therapist, for me, this research is a good reminder of how important it is to take someone's personality into account when I'm assessing a client. Before I set a treatment plan, there's, of course, an assessment phase where I collect information um, to determine a client's strengths and areas for improvement, and I always collect basic parts And I always collect basic pieces of information like demographics, their music preferences, their diagnosis, um, asking the client what they want to get out of therapy. But very rarely, at least up until this point, have I asked someone to describe their own personality or ask them, like, what motivates you personally? But this can be really good information to have. Um, I can even see like with the right client giving them the big five inventory, and that could all help me tailor the music therapy sessions to my clients as individuals. For more practical purposes, let's say you're trying to meet new people, which goodness knows is tough nowadays. Like, how do you make friends as an adult? Uh, Like, especially for me, I mainly work from home, so... Uh, trying to make friends as an adult can be confusing at times when there's no playground or like recess like in elementary school to meet people. Anyways, there's there's things like Meetup, there's Bumble. Um, and FYI, Bumble is not just for if you're on the dating market, but there's a feature called Bumble BFF where you can swipe on people's profiles to make friendship connections. So there's options out there. And so let's say you get to the point where you're meeting someone new in a social setting. Um, When we're getting to know someone, asking about someone's musical taste is a standard get-to-know-you question. And now you are a well-informed podcast listener. You know that there might be a relationship between this person's favorite music and their personality. So you can ask more thoughtful follow-up questions to delve a little deeper into why that music is meaningful for them. Keeping in mind that you're asking them as an individual coming from a place of curiosity rather than just dropping the conversation there and maybe reinforcing stereotypes you might have about listeners of a certain band or musical style. So let's say someone shares their favorite band or song with you. Make sure you follow up on that conversation thread. You could ask why that song is so important to them or ask questions like, What do you think that song reflects about who you are? Or what do you think that song does not capture about your personality? Or would your coworkers slash best friends slash family be surprised if they heard that that was your favorite song? I feel like 
Knowing someone's musical taste can open these doors to really interesting conversations so that we can make more meaningful personal connections, especially in a world where we are tending to isolate ourselves more. Again, our favorite music can be a great bridge to making connections with someone because the music we listen to tends to be really personal. Or you could use what you learned today to connect in a new way with someone you've known for a really long time. So one time for my birthday, I asked my long-distance best friend to make me a playlist, and he's very temperamentally the opposite of me. He's very extroverted, and he sent me five CDs. Five! I asked for one playlist, and he sent me five CDs of his favorite music, and when I was listening to them, I got to experience him in a new way. His music, the music he liked, was totally his personality. It was so enthusiastic and um, so fun to listen to. So it was like I got to be with him for like my commutes when those CDs were in my car, which was really cool. Even if you feel like you know someone really well, you might still learn something new about them. Uh, so just take the time, maybe ask them, hey, I don't know what your favorite song is. Can we listen to it together? Um, and just, I don't know. Do like an old school music listening sesh, maybe like you did back in the day before uh, Spotify and we was around and we carried all our music in our pockets. It's all about making those meaningful connections. There is also a ton more research on musical preferences and identity and the reasons we use music and how personality traits come into play for all of these things, so I'm sure I will revisit the role of personality again in the future. If you enjoyed this episode, um, let me know on Twitter. You can email me at instrumentalpodcast at gmail.com. Until then, thanks for listening to Instrumental, and I'll see you next Friday.